Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast, take three. The snow is <laughs> melting. We have power. We have light. We have a life. And today is a good day. My name is Gabrielle Hawk-Cohen, and I am here with my co-host. Today is a very good day. Not only have we overcome some technical difficulties, yes, uh, but also I woke up to some excellent news today. What was that? So this morning, the first thing I saw when I opened Facebook was that Jack Scott's latest request to get out of jail early has been denied. Denied? Denied. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to say that I love it whenever uh, Jack Scott tries to get out of jail because it means that he keeps getting soaps up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. He but if you've been listening... Yeah, if you've been listening and you've been wondering if he was going to be successful in getting out, well, you can rest easy now knowing that he is and will continue to be in prison for many years. At this time, his scheduled release date is February 2nd, 2023. It's that soon? Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, that's like that's less than two years from now. 
it is a it is an absolute travesty that he only got 10 years to begin with and then he did start serving that sentence in 2013 i think his original release date was supposed to be april of 2023 but i know like the the actual release the the actual dates can move around a little bit well uh, enough about that news uh because we have other stuff to talk about we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We do. So today is the first part of a of a two-part episode, and this is something that has been requested by our listeners a good bit. Today, we're going to be talking about the new IFB movement, what differentiates them from the regular old IFB, and we're going to give a little background on how this movement came to be. And then in the next episode, we'll go a little deeper into the leader of the new IFB, Stephen Anderson, and what kind of person looks at the IFB and says, no, this is definitely not strict enough. These people are just not serious enough about their beliefs. I need to start a group that is way more hardcore. Yeah. So before we get that started, today we're going to be talking about some people who are actually really glad that Scop is still in jail because they hate him a lot, which I agree with. Unfortunately, I don't agree with anything else these people think because they also hate women and gay people and maybe surprisingly or maybe not, they also really hate Jewish people. Yeah. Well, you know, if somebody hates somebody, there's a significant chance that they hate us as well. That's just kind of how things go. If you hate somebody, you hate pro- you probably hate the Jews as well. Like that's that's just kind of how it works. But before we get into that, I should just say that uh, for our listeners that the Leaving Eden podcast, this is uh, this show is all about Sadie Carpenter's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We seek to educate and to inform our listeners about the dangers of this cult, other cults, and to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought, freedom of religion. But Sadie, as you know, uh, let's, let's get into this now. As you know, I am quite active on Twitter. Namely, I'm quite active on Jewish Twitter or Twitter as the kids are calling it. (laughs) Is that really what the kids call it? Yes. Oh yes, 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 yes. If you go on there, it'll it'll be a Twitter. It'll be Twitter, but with a J instead of a T. I just, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I'm going to sound racist if I say that. No, you can say it. Twitter. Okay. okay. Twitter. No, you, you tweet about stuff. And so like, sometimes I know what you're talking about when you tweet about stuff, but most of the time I don't know what you're talking about. And if I don't know what you're talking about, I assume it's either Twitter or Formula One race car Twitter. And then I just don't pay attention because I realize it's, it's probably drama from one of those two groups. Yes, Somewhere. and they are highly dramatic groups. Um, but well, you're a highly dramatic person. <laughs> that's true. Um, Taurus I'm, energy. <laughs> I mean, I've spoken about this before, but uh, being Jewish on the internet, having a Jewish name, appearing Jewish in your pictures, it opens up. Essentially, it opens you up to a tirade of abuse. And you send me screenshots of this kind of thing. Oh, all or the time. Or you like link me the Twitter thread. So I do see this happen and and it's given me more of an awareness of of just how I mean I thought being a woman on the internet was bad. Jeez. <laughs> I mean imagine being a Jewish woman on the internet. I I don't want to know. No. But no, but literally 5 minutes before I sat down to do this podcast episode uh 
it was on my like my own Twitter feed, not the podcast Twitter feed that we both have access to. But I saw a woman who had posted something about God has called my 12-year-old daughter to heaven. My daughter has passed away today. And she wrote God like G hyphen D, like the way that a lot of Jewish people like to. G dash um, D. Yeah. Like, n- like to not because spell out the like- name of God. They don't like to write the name. That's the thing. Right. Some people do well, that. Well, it's, yeah. it's just a traditional thing. Just like um, Christians, when they write pronouns for God, will capitalize. So like if you want to say, I, uh, I'm i so thankful to God because he saved me, you would capitalize the H and he. Huh. Like that's a lot of Christians do that. So it's like, it's a, it's a grammatical convention that's very similar. But there's like Christians on this woman's tweet commenting about like her tweet is about how her literal child just died and there are Christians on there criticizing her for not putting the O in God and like quoting Christian scripture to her. I mean, that's pretty bad. That is total bullshit. Made me so mad. I mean, yeah, but I I just want to tell like the the sort of interactions that I usually get into um, are usually far more confrontational than that sort of thing. But I want to talk specifically about one that I had a few months ago. Yeah, please do that. I'm I'm so sorry. I did not mean to, to derail with my own story. No, it's not derailing. Okay. I don't want to talk over you. It was just fresh in my mind, and it really irked me on this otherwise wonderful day. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, that's actually kind of mild by comparison of... so. Uh. A young man, um, yeah, a young man with a Twitter account replied to something I said, um, and he said something along the lines of uh, Jews worship at the synagogue of Satan and the Jewish Messiah will be the Antichrist, which as far as anti-Semitism okay. goes, yeah, we, that's it's pretty par for the course, pretty normal. Um, I So I click on this guy's profile, uh, you know, to go block him you know, report him and just report <laughs> everything that he says so that he can get banned. And I saw something very odd. Okay. What was that? So um, because of the specific language that this guy was using, I was expecting him to be a black Hebrew Israelite. I was going to say that sounds similar to what they would say. Do you um, do you want to do a quick explanation of black Hebrew Israelites for people who don't know? Yeah. Okay, so for those that aren't familiar, just to avoid any sort of confusion, Black Hebrew Israelites, what that is, is it's Black people, mostly in America, I think, who have sort of bought into a conspiracy theory that Black people are the real Jews and that Jews today, especially Ashkenazi Jews, um, are actually descendants of a group of people called the Khazars, which who were, you know, people who lived in an ancient state in like Western Asia. It's like a really wild conspiracy theory that isn't in any way true and has been disproven by science many, 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 many times and that they should not be. But this this people adherence to this conspiracy should not be confused with like black people who come from like multi-ethnic families who have like real Jewish ancestry or black people who have converted to Judaism or Ethiopian Jews. Like what I'm talking about is something completely different because people who follow this conspiracy theory tend to be really, really, really anti-Semitic. Like Ice Cube and Nick Cannon both got in trouble for supporting these conspiracy theories last year. I mean, Ice Cube sort of has a history of this stuff where he, he will say this sort of stuff all the time. Nick Cannon... Uh, I don't think he really knew the implications of what he was saying. So uh, 
then there was a bunch of backlash. And so what he did was he went and he took lessons with a rabbi for a while. And lately, actually, he's been making a really good faith effort to be uh, an ally to Jewish people, which I really appreciate. But this whole thing, the whole idea is that Jewish people aren't actually the true Jews, that they're fake, that they're, you know, usurpers of somebody else's birthright. Okay, that is that seems really messed up. It is really but that messed makes, up, but that makes sense. And this, and I am, I'm glad you made the delineation. This isn't like Ethiopian Jews. I want to make the delineation because yeah. that's a real thing. And also, like people who are black and are also Jewish is a thing. They exist. There's quite a few of them. But this is like a different group. Yeah. This is this is this is people who. Yeah. But this person who replied to your tweet, this is not like he was not black Hebrew Israelite. He's just using like some similar rhetoric to what they were saying. Yeah, no, this guy, not only was he not black Hebrew Israelite, he was white and he was IFB, which was very weird. I'm sorry. He was, he was, he was IFB. Yes. Okay. So usually I think of IFB people and I, I I think that they would have, we love Israel or like the Israeli flag in their profile on Twitter. Yes. That's, that's, that strikes me as so weird to have a IFB person being super anti-Semitic, like that doesn't make sense to me. Well, what his exact words were, I think, were um, Zionists and Jews are not God's chosen people. They worship at the synagogue of Satan and pray every day for the coming of the Antichrist Messiah. So I think that like, I don't think he was particularly fond of Israel uh, in general, but this was really confusing to me because I'm used to like that flavor of like Christians fetishizing Jewish people. I'm not used to like that flavor of Christian, like being outwardly hostile towards us. It was very strange. Yeah. That's, that seems strange. And from the way you're speaking about it, it sounds like this kind of conspiracy theory and this particular rhetoric are not uncommon or not unheard of. But it wasn't something that I have ever heard before we started talking about it in the context of this episode. No. And it's certainly not something that I have ever heard from someone professing to be Christian, much less Baptist, because I think the Baptists are way more likely to err on the side of the, you know, the Jesus Seder <laughs> that we've talked yeah. about before. <laughs> so you ran into a, a very different kind of IFB person on the internet, it seems. Yeah, well, he had hashtag IFB, hashtag old paths, and hashtag KJV in his bio. Oh, oh, he had hashtag old paths. Okay, yeah. so so we follow some accounts on Twitter with our Twitter account that use that hashtag like sarcastically or ironically. Yeah, I started putting it in our in our like episode like tweets because I just saw a bunch of IFB people using it. So attract. I just assumed yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'll put that in there. What is it? I don't even know what it is. Okay. So some people will use it sarcastically and it like the people that we follow, like the IFB Sasquatch, um, like me Baptist meme Twitter page that we follow. Oh, I love that page. It's so funny. We love like whoever that is it's an anonymous account, but we love you, whoever you are. So like that person will use hashtag old paths a lot because like if they're using it ironically, but if they're I think not that's using where I got it, it from, probably, but if somebody is using that hashtag and it's not ironically, that is probably a clue that the person is a part of the new IFB, uh, either they're very, very radical IFB or they're a part of the new IFB, which is a recent offshoot of the main group of the IFB that we usually talk about on this show. Yeah. 
Okay, so is is the new IFB basically the same as like your garden variety old IFB, except for that they hate Jews? No. The, so the new IFB is distinct from the old IFB in a lot of ways. So the old IFB did directly produce the new IFB, but they have some pretty serious divisions and distinctions. Okay, so is the new IFB, so it's newer. So mm-hmm. are they more, are they like more modern? Is you that would what- think, but it's actually quite the opposite of that. So the first thing you want to be aware of is that the names of these two groups are really misleading. Because just from the sound of things, you would think that the new IFB would be more modern and the old IFB would be more old-fashioned, more traditional, like less progressive. And we're, we'll get into this later, but I'm sure you remember that I've talked about how Jack Scott modernized the First Baptist Church of Hammond. And he didn't make very many internal changes in the doctrine or in the teaching, but he made lots of external changes in the way that the church presented itself in an attempt to attract a younger, cooler crowd. And we've talked before about Jack Scott's King James Version controversy and how a lot of IFB pastors really hated Scott, either just because he wasn't Hiles or because he was rocking the boat or specifically because of the King James Version thing. Yeah. So basically, the IFB is like already super reactionary, you know, like so they've mm-hmm. got the uh, doctrine of separation from the rest of the world. Uh, and the new IFB is reactionary to the reactionaries <laughs> so it's so like you how ifb pastors go around calling each other like liberals uh like lily livered uh lace on their underwear like this is like this is like the logical conclusion to that where some people become so extreme that they just want to form their own club yeah i mean it kind of is that so wow The roots of the new IFB go back even before half of the IFB had this backlash against SCOP. So the the roots of it were planted before the backlash against SCOP. But when the King James Version controversy against SCOP happened, that was kind of a turning point where the new IFB gained a lot of momentum. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. The churches that the churches that did have an issue with SCOP, many of them stayed old IFB, although some did defect and join the the new IFB. So even before a lot of these objections, people had to scop, though. There was this Hiles Anderson student around 2004-2005 named Stephen Anderson. And this guy, Stephen Anderson, had issues with scop, and he had issues with the way that things were done at Hiles Anderson College long before the, the whole King James Version thing blew this out of the water. But you're right in thinking that the new IFB is reactionary to the reactionaries. They believe that the old IFB has strayed away from the true doctrine and that they are holding closer to the original meaning of Christianity. So what specifically were this guy's gripes with Scop and Hiles Anderson? Like, is this like the IFB version of like Martin Luther and the 95 Theses? I'm sorry, the 95 what? 95 Theses. What, what did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said the 95 feces. <laughs> no, the 95, the 95 feces is what happens uh, <laughs> after the IFB church potluck. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm talking. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about I'm talking about Martin Luther. So Martin Luther, uh, if you know your history, uh, he had 95 problems with the Catholic Church and, and the Vatican. And that's that's what I'm. So this is like the IFB version of yeah. Yes, and he he wrote them all out and named them or nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Yeah. 
actually, that's not a bad analogy. And I'll tell you why. Because Martin Luther, some of his issues with the church were very petty and kind of small. And some of his issues with the church were kind of legitimate, like the idea that that Martin Luther was against the idea of selling indulgences. Oh, yeah. That was the big thing where they were like, you can can commit sins and then you can basically just, uh, if you pay the church a bunch of money, then... You can like prepay for your sin allowance. Um, And Martin Luther's actual issue with that, if I remember correctly, was that priests were pocketing the money, not that the church was letting you prepay for sins. Really? Um, I that's what I've heard, but I could that could just be Baptist history and not actual history. Anyway, the the Stephen Anderson's issues or the new IFB's issues with Jack Scop and with the old IFB are very much like that because some of their issues are really small and petty and meaningless, and some of their issues and I hate to say this, but some of their issues were actually kind of legitimate, or if not legitimate, at least much less crazy than the whole Zionist worship at the synagogue of Satan weirdo whatever. Okay, so what's he mad about? So does he does he feel like Scop and the Hiles uh, camp IFB, the Hiles Anderson uh, camp of the IFB, has gotten away from their roots? So he's mad about a lot of stuff, but at the beginning, it seems like the first thing that set Anderson off against Jack Scop was actually something that was going on at Hiles Anderson College. So when he was a student at Hiles Anderson, Stephen Anderson was already married to his wife, but he was in college chapel one day and he had been given a sheet of paper with announcements on it. And this was in 2005. And one of the announcements on that sheet of paper was that all engaged ladies were to attend a mandatory meeting on a certain day. And I think I've talked about this on the on the podcast before, that you weren't supposed to learn about sex until like three months before your wedding that they mm-hmm. would have these classes for engaged ladies at the Hiles Anderson campus. I may have mentioned this before. I may not have. I don't know if we mentioned the classes, but we definitely talked about that you weren't about to supposed to know about sex until like 90 days before. Right. So anybody that ever went to Hiles Anderson has heard this announcement because they still do these meetings to this day. So Stephen Anderson had this some kind of magical moment with this announcement Because just as he picked up the piece of paper to read the announcement, somebody was speaking, like he wasn't really paying attention to the sermon, but the preacher started talking about there is wickedness in this college and somebody ought to do something about it. So Anderson uh, took this as as a sign that God was speaking to him and that there was the wickedness in this college was going on in this meeting because his eyes happened to be Mm. on that part of the paper when the preacher said that thing. Interesting. Little tenuous, but whatever. So he has Anderson has his wife sneak in to this meeting and he has her take a tape recorder because he wants to know what is going on in this all women meeting, which takes place behind closed doors. I got a clip for you. Uh, This is what Anderson has to say about what was going on in this meeting. Okay, then let's go play that. Inquiring minds want to know. And so she went in there, she got the tape recorder on, she sits it on the desk, covers it up with something, and he began to teach, began to teach the most filthy things you can imagine, and I have it on tape. And he, he started out with a slideshow, and I'm not going to be graphic, I always try to protect your, your young children and my own, he, he started out with a slideshow, the first slide, just for shock value, he flipped on the first slide, it was a picture of a nude woman. And a close-up of a nude woman's anatomy. Not a, not a drawing, a picture. 
Okay? He's a man. You think that's right, though, don't you? Because he's got doctor in front of his name. He's immune. He's not a normal human being. He's a God-man. He's a God-man, right? He's a God-man. He would never lust or think. But he's got this dirty picture, and people are like, whoa, my, my wife is blessing. You know, she's married with three kids. She's like, whoa. And he said, oh, don't worry. These are a little sensitive. And he began to teach sex education in the filthiest terms. And I have it on tape. I mean, it's disgusting. I mean, it's creepy, weird. Yeah. Heaven forbid. So he so he was was he mad about I'm a little confused from hearing that was he mad about the sex education or was he mad about the creepiness If you listen to the full recording that that comes from and we will link it in our show notes uh, it's both He is just big mad about this entire situation So the next thing that he talks about after the the creepiness factor that he perceives The next thing that Anderson talks about is how the doctor goes on to talk about birth control methods. According to Anderson, the doctor said that pregnancy begins at implantation. And this is a more scientific view compared to the common IFB belief that pregnancy and therefore life begins at fertilization. Of course, Anderson is super not into this idea. Right. Because, yeah, no, because uh, there is a subtle difference here because believing that life begins at implantation means that abortion is not allowed. But if you believe that life begins at fertilization, then not only is abortion not allowed, but uh, hormonal birth control is also not allowed. Exactly. Yeah. And please, for goodness sake, if you are going to get into pro-life or pro-choice discourse, please educate yourself on the science of pregnancy. Anderson goes on to describe all of that. And I think our listeners are educated or have the ability to educate themselves, so I'm not going to get all the way into it. But Anderson believes because this doctor is saying to these girls that, oh, pregnancy doesn't begin until implantation. But Anderson believes that it begins at fertilization. So what he believes is that this doctor is encouraging Hiles Anderson girls to abort their babies by taking the pill. Which is wrong. Which is not true. Yeah. Which it's not scientifically accurate. Because there is an abortion pill and that is something that is completely different than this. Right. And it's not plan B in case you were wondering. No, that's not that either. That was free. (laughs) That was free advice. Uh, Plan B technically does not cause abortions. Anyway, the doctor was giving out three months prescription of the pill to fr- for free to these college girls. So he just had like a bunch of like packets of like, here's like three months worth of your pills for the college girls. And I just have to include this is like a two second clip, but this is what Anderson said about it. The first three months. Hey, the first one's always free from a dope dealer. <laughs> the first one's always free from a dope from dealer. From a dope dealer. Oh man. Mm. <laughs> that cracked me up and I was like, I have to put that in the show. He's trying to they're trying to get you hooked. No, you they're don't have to trying to get you hooked on not being pregnant. <laughs> I'm addicted to abortions. <laughs> you, know, you know that would be a lot funnier if I never heard anybody claim that that was a possibility. And of course, anyway. no, like of course, but my IFB doctrine, the idea that you would take birth control pills rather than have a bunch of children or, you know, that you would be having sex for purposes other than procreation, that's is that is that wrong? That's wrong, right? Well, that's so that's more of a quiverful belief than technically IFB, actually. One of the very, very, very few things that the IFB is not united on is the idea of birth control and whether non-procreative sex is okay. 
It's really weird. The IFB can pretty much agree on how many inches a woman's skirt needs to be below her knee. And they can all pretty much agree on on what music is and isn't acceptable. But birth control is one of the things they have not all been able to agree on. So that's more church by church or pastor by pastor as to what whether birth control is considered okay and what forms are considered okay. Okay, so Steven Anderson, he seems really peeved about this. Yeah, he's really he's big mad about big mad. about this um about this situation. So he went to the college administration with the handouts that his wife collected from this meeting with the tape that he had her secretly record. He mentions that the doctor recommended a Christian sex manual to these young women and it used the NIV instead of the King James version, which was Whoa. massively upsetting. By the way, I am pretty sure it was the it was either intended for pleasure or the other book by Ed Wheat. If you we're, were going wondering. to actually have a review of one of these Christian sex manuals, at I know some that's point why I keep podcast. bringing it up because that's I like I I'm, I uh, I know we're going to get to that eventually, but I'm yeah, pretty I, sure that's what it was. I'm I'm just reminded of the of you know that episode of Thirty Rock where Kenneth is like. I'm a big time sex haver and I can do it all the way. <laughs> like that's what I'm also Kenneth is like my favorite person ever because he reminds me of every sweet Hiles Anderson boy I ever knew. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Anderson is is pissed off because he says the sex manual is like it uses the wrong Bible translation and also he describes it as pornographic. IFBs are categorically bad at defining the word pornographic. They really, they really are bad at defining this word. Oh, wait, pornography addiction. That's when you get caught trying to hook up with people on a dating app, right? Right. Right. Uh. See, they have they have some 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 issues defining this kind of term. But anyway, Anderson takes all of this material to Jack Scopp and to other college administrators at Hiles Anderson College in 2005. And he thought, well, maybe these people don't know what's going on in this engaged ladies meeting. And to Anderson's shock, they did know what was being taught in these engaged ladies meetings, and they felt like it was appropriate and they weren't going to stop it. I suppose that like if you're used, if you're an IFB Bible college and everybody who goes there is super weird about sex, I'm sure that you're used to people like complaining about stuff like this, or at least you've got like you've got to be prepared for people complaining. I'm sure they were used to it to an extent. And he can't have been the first one. No. And what's more, though, these young women, if they grew up IFB and if they grew up in IFB school, they would have been a few months from their weddings and could have been completely clueless about sex. Like for a lot of these young women, this was it. This was all the sex ed that they would get. They don't even know about like the mechanics of how things work. Literally, they don't know part A into slot B literally nothing wow and i have had friends in bible college that did not know that Mm. so yikes so like with with these coming up on a wedding night it can be really terrifying for a young person in that position and this class was this like one to two hours was all the sex ed that they would get the only way for them to be prepared for their wedding night. So there's definitely a very particular brand of woman hating here that Anderson wants these women to go into their wedding night with fear and terror and questions 
that he would want to prevent even this extremely basic sex education. I just think that's extremely misogynistic that that he would want yeah. women to to be so vulnerable and so unprepared. Right. The thing is that yeah. the IFB preaches that life begins at conception and they define conception as fertilization. And I certainly don't agree with that personally, but the IFB does teach that. And this doctor at Hiles Anderson was teaching something contrary to that. So to his credit, Anderson is not completely inaccurate with his ideas of how the pill works. His numbers and statistics are way off, but his idea of how the basic like hormones in the pill works are not completely wrong. Not like Rush Limbaugh when he was no. like, remember that time when he was like so much birth control that she's having so much sex that she needs so much birth control. I'm like, you don't know how birth control works, do you? Oh, my. Anyway, what I was saying about Anderson, though. He has a legitimate doctrinal issue with what is being taught at Hiles Anderson. He's wrong, but he has a legitimate reason to be upset about this. According to his beliefs, which he was taught by the IFB, that this doctor is encouraging young women to, quote, murder their babies by being on the pill. So what I'm saying is he's wrong, but he's not insane. And I know this was a long bit to answer the question of what began to turn Anderson away from Hiles Anderson and away from Jack Scopp, but it seems like this was one of his earliest issues with what he was being told. At some point after this situation, Anderson left Hiles Anderson just short of graduating. He was in his final semester, and he had even already purchased his cap and gown, but he decided that he didn't want a degree from such a wicked institution. But like without his diploma, how is he supposed to be an IFB pastor? It's the IFB. It literally does not matter. Diploma is just like a bonus. Wait, so like literally any Joe Schmo can decide that they're an IFB pastor and start a church? Oh, yeah. There are many IFB pastors with absolutely zero seminary training without a Bible college degree. There are many IFB pastors with a one-year online degree from Hiles Anderson. Um There are many IFB pastors who just went to pastor school for a few years, and that's his pastoral training. A degree is literally just like a bragging rights, like a trophy to brag about, and it's a way to network with other IFBs from the same general camp as you. And to Anderson, this mattered even less because he was wanting to break away from the IFB and start his own church, which he did. Immediately after leaving Hiles Anderson, he started Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. Is that right, Tempe? I thought it was Tempe. No, Tempe is the is uh is a kind of food. What kind of food is Tempe? It's a it's a breading that goes on sushi and it's one of my favorite foods. Right. Tempe. It is Tempe. Okay, he's in Tempe, Arizona. And so is he is his church successful? Do people like it? I suppose like his exit from the IFB isn't too different from like the way that Lester Roloff or Jack Hiles both left their respective Baptist denominations. Yeah, his exit is a little less dramatic, but it's not difficult for him to get out. And Anderson starts his church in Arizona, and he does have initial success. The church grows pretty quickly to being in the range of 100 to 150 people, which is really a good size for an IFB church. Okay, so who like who are these people that are joining this church? Like, So are they IFBs that he's brought to his camp, or are they just like, randos that he's managed to round up because like i mean he's what 23 24 years old and he's got three kids already 
Like, where is he going to get the money to buy a building for a church? I can answer that second question pretty easily. So I'm going to answer that one first. Uh, the church meets in a storefront in a strip mall. So they just rent out their space. They don't have to actually wait, buy a building. Wait, hold up. Okay, so he's operating a church out of a strip mall? A strip mall? Yes. In Tempe, Arizona? Yes. So between the tanning salon and the Quiznos, you can find Jesus? Yes. <laughs> what yes oh man (laughs) i mean no while you're there you might as well stop by the verizon store you can get your modem you'd be surprised there are there are many ifp churches that meet in strip malls Um, drop them drop off my clothes to the dry cleaner (laughs) so yeah there's the jamba juice too IFBs are against Jamba Juice. Wait, are they actually against Jamba Juice? I think so. Because it's expensive, so it's a bad use of your money. Okay, I mean, that's perfectly legitimate reason to be against Jamba Juice. But I love Jamba <laughs> Juice. Like, I, I, it, I go there like once every like three years because I hate spending that kind of money, but it is so good. Anyway. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. But you're right. All of this like dangerous... <laughs> NIFB movement that might eclipse the old IFB and the damage that it does literally started in 2005 in a strip mall in Tempe, Arizona. Man, oh, it's got to be like right there with the uh, with your laser hair removal right next door. <laughs> I don't think it's that nice of a strip mall. I think it's I think it's probably more like along the lines of um, like nail the salon pet- next door. The Petco. There's a. <laughs> but we'll get more into this as episodes play out but anderson has he has ways of generating income uh so he can afford this strip mall church the but the first question that you asked me like about who were these people that joined his church that question is a little bit harder to answer There's a picture of the entire congregation in front of the church on the church website. And at least visually, this looks like a very normal IFB church. Uh, Lots of families with young children. This church has a ratio of young families with children that other IFB churches would just drool over. Oh, hold on. I just looked it up. The faithful word Baptist church is in the same building as as, uh, Hamilton Family Tax Services. It's across the street from Wendy's and a wing stop. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Man, if it wasn't COVID, I would love to go protest this church. Yeah. When there's no more COVID, we're going to do it. Yeah. They'll well, tell I me think... that I should go back to the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> anyway, what, what were you talking yeah. about? I was talking about how he's got a lot of young families with children in his church And actually, I think he's doing better at that than a lot of IFB churches are. And my theory at the moment is that this might be because he's very prolific on YouTube. So this gives him a platform with these younger people. So he's actually attracting young families. It's not just like old people. Yes, it is. Somehow he is actually attracting like young families. And I did have a half of a thought in my mind of could these be people who are not legitimately his church members? But I can't find any proof or any evidence of that at all. Um, 
Anderson's wife has a pretty prolific Facebook page and a blog, and lots of their church members comment on her stuff online. So it really looks very legitimate. I think they actually do have many committed young families as their church members. So Mm. it's a bit perplexing, but I cannot find a single reason to think it's not true. Yeah. And I'm I'm not going to act like young people who are like extremely conservative. Like I'm not going to act like they don't exist. But like I can't help but think that this like has to do with the fact that like this church is in a suburb of Phoenix and that like Arizona and Phoenix has sort of kind of become a place where people run to because California has become too liberal for them. See, that does make a lot of sense. And that plays into my theory as well. I think these may be people who were IFB uh, or people who were part of other conservative groups, but those groups weren't extreme enough for them. So they found Anderson and Faithful Word Baptist. He's really a branding genius. So it wouldn't surprise me if he had a very easy time attracting others like him. And we're going to dig into Stephen Anderson personally a little bit more later. So I want to pivot back to the cult that he founded the NIFB, and I will talk about the the theological differences that made him feel like it was necessary to just start his own whole thing. Yeah. Okay, so just as like a general framework, how is the new IFB and the old IFB the same, and how are they different? So there are just like several main differences, and we're going to just talk through them here. Okay. The NIFB, first of all, is strictly King James Version only, which is something that they share with the IFB. But the NIFB would not like to hear me say that they believe almost the same thing as the old IFB does. Okay. And that probably sounded confusing, so I'm going to explain. So remember when we talked about SCOP and the whole inspiration versus preservation conflict? It's a bunch of complicated language and jargon, but the bottom line is, did God inspire the Bible when it was written and then help the King James translators do a good job? Or did God inspire the Bible when it was written and then again inspire, again, breathe the words into the King James Version translators? This was the thing that Scop had controversy over before we all found out that he was a predator and he went to prison. Yeah. So like you've explained this to me like eight or ten times. <laughs> I still like I still am so I, I do not quite understand what this is about. I've had generally a better education than a lot of these IFB people. So I can't help but think that a lot of these IFB people probably don't have a full grasp about what this is about either. Because like, this is just so in the reeds here. That's how it feels. You know, I think you're probably not wrong. The NIFB, the new IFB, believes what the anti-SCOP people believed. So they believe that God verbally inspired the King James Bible which is to say that God spoke directly to the translators of the King James Version and told them word by word, this is defined as a plenary verbal inspiration, told them word by word what to write in their English translation of the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts from which they worked. And this is heresy. (laughs) Yeah, this seems kind of ridiculous. No, this is absolutely heresy because... God inspired God gave us his word one time. If you believe that God gave us his word again when they translated the King James, you believe that God had to speak twice, which God didn't have to like God didn't stutter. God didn't have to speak twice. God told us once. And that's the text that we have. Um so this is actual heresy, but lots of IFP people believe one you know either side of this controversy. 
uh, plenty of IFB people believe that God verbally inspired the King James Version. Hmm. The new IFB goes beyond this. Because they believe that the King James Bible and only the King James is effectively a part of God. So regular IFBs Uh. believe that the Bible in general, in any valid translation, is the word of God. God's words here on earth with us. But there's a verse in John that says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And regular IFBs and regular Christians believe that that's metaphorically talking about Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God. Jesus is the word of God in human form. But new IFB people believe that the word of God mentioned in John 1 is not metaphorical. It is referring to the Bible itself and specifically to the King James Bible. I know your eyes are probably glazed over again, so I'm going to give you a one-sentence summary. The new IFB believe that the King James Bible in English was literally present with God in a physical place, in a physical form, before the creation of the universe, when God alone existed in the triune persons of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So that's like extremely like existential and determinist, but in a super weird way. Yeah, and, and it's also mm. like racist and yeah. Eurocentric. Yeah, like why in English? Yeah, like I'm not going to start because we're going to come back around to this. But the Bible was originally written in Hebrew. And to say that the original language in heaven was actually English is like blatantly racist, blatantly anti-Semitic. And I'm not. I mean, that. I wouldn't even call it. I, I wouldn't even call it anti-Semitic. I would just call it f-ing stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, That's like fair. say you were say you were a really good Christian, right? You die, you go to heaven. But like, you're not going to be able to understand because everybody in heaven is speaking English. That's the dumbest shit I ever fucking heard. <laughs> okay, so so try this one then. If that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard, let's that's see if we can do it really one dumb. better. So another divergence between the IFB and the new IFB is over their beliefs about gay people. Oh God! So all these, all of them hate gay people. Of course. Which it should not be a surprise, but this is a really good example of even as backwards as the IFB are, the NIFB is so. So, so much worse. And content warning, in case you didn't pick this up, there's going to be some real homophobia here for just a minute. Yeah. Uh, The IFB believes that being gay is a sin. But they believe that it's a sin kind of just like any other sin. So they're, they're against gay rights. They don't believe that gay people should be able to get married or adopt children. So basically, it's the whole hate the sin, love the sinner nonsense. Very much so. Where they're like, I hate part of you, but I love you, but I still hate part of you. Mm-hmm. Which is no real way to love somebody. But the IFB believe that gay people can be saved. That it is just a sin that you have to repent of like any other sin. So like, you know, if you're a murderer and you want to get saved, you have to repent of murdering. Or if you're a thief and you want to get saved, you have to repent of stealing. And mainstream IFB, and this is like this is a huge thing that I'm not going to get too deep into, I promise. <laughs> mainstream IFB do not believe that you have to repent of every sin that you have ever committed to be qualified to be saved. They believe that you have to turn away from sin in general. And if there's any specific sins that you're aware of, you have to turn away from doing those things. Okay, that seems kind of reasonable, though. 
Right. Like that, that makes sense because like, okay, if Jesus really saved you, you would probably want to stop murdering people. Right. The IFB would say that if you were gay and you got saved, eventually God would speak to your heart and tell you that being gay was a sin and then you would give it up and then you would eventually stop being gay. But they believe at the bottom line because they believe that being gay is a choice and not like something that you're born with. But at the bottom line, I mean, that's all bullshit. But they do believe that gay people can go to heaven. On the other hand, the new IFP may or may not believe that gay people can be saved. It's hard to nail down whether they believe that you can be saved if you're gay or not. But the new IFP most definitely believe that gay people should be put to death for the crime of being gay. Ah. And I think this comes from a, this is a misinterpretation. It's a misunderstanding of a law from Leviticus. Uh, I mean, it always seems wild to me that people go ham on this one, like this one law in Leviticus, because like, but then they'll wake up and eat bacon every day for breakfast because that, I mean, to me, that seems kind of arbitrary. There is like a technical explanation for it, like a technical reason, but this is an episode about the NIFB and not how the regular IFB justify their weirdo rules. Right. Uh, personally, I support both gay people and bacon. I'm a bigger fan of gay people than bacon, but I think people should do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it seems like whenever I hear some like quote unquote, super technical reason for this stuff, it just seems to me like people are just bigots and they hate gay people but they think that pigs are delicious, so you know they don't want to have to follow that rule, so they give themselves like a theological get-out-of-jail-free card. At some point, I will explain to you why Christians think that they need to follow some of the Torah, but not all of it. And I'm really interested to hear your thoughts when we get there. But my point is that the regular IFB is super, super problematic and hateful towards gay people. But they do not believe that the laws of our country should change to put you to death if you are gay so like the ifb is problematic they're not like they don't they they don't they're not right but the nifb makes them look tolerant by comparison because they're Mm. just so hateful yeah i mean steven anderson openly celebrated the pulse nightclub shooting in orlando Ah. and not only that he held a make america straight again conference in an orlando area church pulse nightclub shooting done by isis I think so. There was some guy who was like ISIS affiliated. I don't I don't even mm. know, but Anderson held a Make America Straight Again conference in an Orlando area church on the weekend of the third anniversary of the shooting. Oh, what the f I know that for sure. That's not okay. It's really, really not okay. Yikes. Like I'm not saying that the that the IFB treats gay people right, because they don't. But the NIFB is just, like, de- many degrees worse. They're next level. Yeah. And I do want to note here that there are some really heated debates about Anderson and the new IFB's teaching on salvation, specifically as it pertains to Anderson's messed up definition of the terms Calvinism and repentance. But this is not a theology podcast, and it would probably take a whole episode to dig into all of that, so I don't want to do that right now. I mean, all, like, all I know is that, like, when I have the misfortune of seeing IFB memes, all of them are always talking about how bad Calvinism is. In case you were wondering, yes, the IFB have memes. Yes, they're all terrible. And yes, they're mostly Peppy the Frog and Advice Animals. Yes. <laughs> and also, when the NIFB talks about Calvinism, they're using 
the wrong definition of Calvinism to begin with and the wrong, possibly the wrong definition of repentance. So like it's a, it's a mess. It's a theological mess. Yeah. But another place that the IFB and the NIFB differ is in preaching style. The new IFB has within its doctrinal statements, the concept of hard preaching. The new IFB believe that any sermon that is pleasant to everybody assembled is inherently sinful and wicked that preaching should be offensive and that if a sermon is boring or slow paced, that that is not valid preaching. So in practice, this involves a lot of preaching about anything that the pastor thinks is a sin, as well as a lot of yelling, a lot of slamming the pulpit and just a ton of slurs and inflammatory language from the pulpit. So they're basically just edge lords. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I don't know how much Steven Anderson you forced yourself to listen to in prep for this episode. I mean, some some Steven Anderson. But uh, you don't need totally a lot is. to get the general gist of what this guy's about. And, and it is. It's just edgy for shock value. Yeah. And it's very much the same concept, I think, as people who said, I like Trump because he's not politically correct. Like, I like him because he's not polished. I think it's that taken to its logical extreme. And then, like, mixed even further with religion. Anderson is is well known for using the F-slur, the T-slur, extremely homophobic language, extreme anti-feminism, uh, misogyny. He won't use sexual language, but definitely graphic language. Um, he's well known for using all of that from the pulpit. Well, I mean, if you want your church services to sound like a cod lobby, then I guess this is the Christian denomination for you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, although the NIFB, of course, would insist that they are neither a denomination nor a cult. I will see that they are not technically a denomination. I do think that they are a cult, but I will tell you why later. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, the first family of fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Another major theological hallmark of the new IFB is that they believe in a pre-wrath but not pre-trib rapture. What's that mean? We've talked before about how pretty much any Christians who do believe in the rapture believe in like 
these basic components, and you could even think of them as like Lego bricks. Like there's a bag of Lego bricks. You got the rapture where Christians are caught up in the clouds with Jesus. You have the seven-year tribulation. Tribulation is split into two, three-and-a-half-year halves. The first half is comparatively peaceful. And then sometime in the second half, after the halfway mark, God's wrath is poured out onto the earth in the form of fire and earthquakes in general, absolute apocalyptic mayhem. There are certain key events and key players during that seven-year tribulation, like the Antichrist, the Beast, and the False Prophet. There's the Mark of the Beast. There's the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. There's the Judgment Seat of Christ. There's the Millennium. There's Armageddon. There's the New Heaven, New Earth, New Jerusalem. And that's like your bag of Lego bricks, right? So all of these components, we all have the same bag of Lego bricks. All of these components are universal to those who do believe in the rapture and those who do believe in end times prophecy with very little variation. Where people differ is how literally to interpret these things and what order they happen in. So we all have pretty much the same bag of Lego bricks to start with, but we all make something different out of it. Like one guy made a car and one guy made a person and one guy made a house. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's all these parts, but they go in a different order. Yes. A different order, a different degree of literalness. Uh, different, you know, oh, some people think that the dragon refers to the Catholic Church. Some people believe it refers to America. Some people believe it refers to China. Some people some, believe it refers to an actual dragon. Could be. Yeah, totally. We all come up with like a different end point of what we think is going to happen. The IFB teaches that the first Lego brick you have to put down The first thing that happens is the rapture. The rapture is the thing that starts this whole chain of events. And then the tribulation happens. So the IFB teaches that saved people will not live through the tribulation because they will be raptured. So the basic parts that the IFB teaches is that the rapture happens first, then the seven-year tribulation, then Armageddon, and then after that, the millennium. The new IFB is big mad about this. Because they believe that the tribulation happens first, so the saved people live through at least half of the tribulation before getting raptured up. So basically, the new IFB think that everything crazy that's going on right now is the tribulation and that the rapture is going to happen any day now. Yes. By this theory, the tribulation Mm. could have started like any time. It could have started already, and we just don't know for sure yet. So they believe that they are going to live through approximately three and a half years or a little bit more of the tribulation, the part that's comparatively more mild. They believe that that Christians will go through the first half of the tribulation and then slightly past the part where you have to take the mark of the beast, which is around the halfway point, and then Jesus will come back and take them all up in the rapture. I don't know if Anderson believes that the, the tribulation has started now in 2021. Uh, I don't know if he thinks that or if he thinks that it could start any day. I'm he hasn't said for but he hasn't said for sure though. Right. Like he hasn't said you'd have to listen to thousands of hours of his preaching to know if he has said that he thinks it's already started or if he has said that it hasn't started yet and I'm not going to listen to thousands of hours of his preaching to find yeah, out. Yeah, I, I really don't want to do that. Yeah, neither do I. No. But I hope this is kind of helping you get the concept though because the nifb and the ifb's differences are kind of petty they wouldn't count for differences unless you were a hundred percent sold out to these beliefs and i think you had a word for this back when we were talking about the king james thing like something about a taco what something 
You had a word that like it means like a big nerd. Oh, was that? Oh, it was an otaku. No, was yeah, or, that's it. Yeah, okay. So they're all like, so they're all otakus, as far as I like still Bible don't stuff. Don't think I understand what that means. It's it's a reference. You know, somebody who's like really, really, really into anime. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's like, and they're like just way way into like both they're like in like a really annoying sort of way where but they're like like, like fan theories and stuff or no like if you uh accidentally say something wrong they'll like jump in and correct and be like actually uh oh. this pokemon is uh this pokemon can only evolve into this pokemon when you get to this number of experience points blah 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 when you get to oh, level- it's a well actually dude yeah but it can be a girl well, right. Yeah. I used dude. Sorry. I used dude ginger neutrally. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But what, yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, this wouldn't count as a difference unless you were completely sold out to these beliefs. And these differences, they only really matter if you're an extreme biblical literalist. And if it's extremely important to you to be right about all of these things, it might seem trivial to an outsider. Yeah. I mean, it does seem really trivial and arbitrary to me. And like we said at the top of this episode, anti-Semitism is one of the bigger issues that the NIFB and the IFB are different over. I feel like all of these things are kind of niche, things that you wouldn't even understand why they were important unless you were a part of one of these two groups. But the anti-Semitism is a bigger one because it's much more visible to people outside one of these two groups. Okay, so like while the IFB are like casually anti-Semitic, the new IFB are like aggressively anti-Semitic and think that the Jewish people think the Messiah will be the Antichrist. And you were saying that this is something that you've heard before. Yes. Okay, and I hadn't heard anything about this before, but the way you were talking about it, this idea that the Messiah will be the Antichrist, this is not unheard of either. Yeah. So, like, I for instance, I googled Stephen Anderson, and one of the first links that popped up was an article from the Anti Defamation League that said that he produced a documentary called "Marching to Zion," in which he said that Jewish people think that the Messiah will be the Antichrist. Is this um is this unique, like, to the particular weirdo niche of Christians? Did okay, did Anderson come up with this? Is what I'm wondering, or are there other roots? To this belief mm. about the Jewish Messiah being the Antichrist. I mean, there's always other roots to this stuff. It's it's such a like it's I'm such just like wondering a like ball. where he where he caught like that's like a yeah. virus. Like where did he catch the virus? I mean, it all came from the protocols of the elders of Zion, which I don't have time to talk about right now, but it's like a it's it's a crazy thing. Like so because like I said before, if if you're Jewish, you know what I'm talking about. Anti-Semitism from different groups comes in different ways. And, you know, it's like, I mean, I'd almost equate it to like if looking at like, say you're bird watching and you see a bird that looks a certain way uh, and you're like, oh, well, that's this kind of bird. Oh, well, that's this kind of bird. Oh, well, that's this kind of bird. They're all birds, but they all look different and they're from different places. And you can tell that by like looking at them. And that's sort of how I would explain it. Like, for instance, So white supremacists believe that Jews are not white, but that they are masquerading as white people in order to blend in, gain political power in white society, and then promote race mixing in order to end the white race. Yeah. So that's okay. That's what no, that's seriously. That's what white supremacists believe. They call it like the great replacement. 
where see, I yeah. have not known about that before. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Oh, I was under the impression until thirty seconds ago that white supremacists hate Jews because they think they are not white. Period. No, they they do the the whole their whole thing is that Jews are masquerading as white people. Yeah, they're pretending to be white people so that they can. That's way grosser than I expected. So they gain power in white society. And the reason why there's all of this immigration coming into America right now and America in like 50 years isn't going to be white majority. The reason for that is because Jewish influence is pushing more liberal uh, immigration laws. That's so weird. Yeah. And uh, also okay. racial racial integration with black people so that uh, interracial relationships are OK now and all of the white women are going to go for black men now and uh, the white race is going to be ended because of that. That's that's what white supremacists believe. I was missing some pieces in that, so I'm glad you explained that. Yeah, and they think that that's all happening because of uh, Jewish political influence trying to end the white race. That's what they believe. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super weird and gross and disgusting. Leftist yes. anti-Semites, yeah, leftist anti-Semites will usually go and say something like, it won't it won't appear in the same way. So if you're a leftist and you're an anti-Semite, you'd likely say something along the lines of Jews are not indigenous to the Middle East. And therefore, Israel is a white settler colony and an extension of Western white supremacy. Therefore, Ashkenazi Jews in the United States are upholding white supremacy in the same way that Jews do in Israel. So it's like another one. It's like another harebrained conspiracy theory. But it's more intellectually worded and using like anti-Semitism encoded like language of liberation and abolition things. So they're like actually hating the Jews is an act of liberation rather than, you know, just being like, yeah. So like the real totally gone ones will deny like the historical fact of like extreme persecution of Jews under the Soviet Union for the purpose of wiping out religion and culture in favor of like a monoculture that can more easily function as like a Marxist state. So the second, like, but like, that's only going to be like hardcore tankies. The first like one is much more common. I see that shit on Twitter all the time from like people who are either like in university and have just taken like political classes and are like learning about all of this stuff. And they're like, and they've been indoctrinated by a lot of these things. And, they're just learning about power structures and they see Jews at the top and they're like, they're the people who are in. Yeah. Th so that's what's going on. The sort of synagogue of Satan kind of thing, which is like its own whole sort of thing, the sort of synagogue of Satan and the Jewish Messiah is the antichrist sort of stuff. That is usually stuff that I would expect to hear from black Hebrew Israelites or like nation of Islam. Like if you look up uh, Louis Farrakhan, who leads the Nation of Islam, he is quoted as saying this stuff. Like this claim is very much like sort of black radical sort of language. He didn't come up with it because I think like this is another thing. I think it comes from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which um, it's a which is a fraudulent document that is probably the most consequential like anti-Semitic text in history, but different groups have sort of different things that they will glom onto. So at least for me, hearing that sort of language that I associate with like black Hebrew Israelites come from white Christians, that was very strange. And that sounds like it would be it would be really strange because they Dude, haven't taken like the they haven't taken the white supremacist tack. No. 
they've gone from like a different direction. Yeah. It's it's just like, uh, I mean, I'm sure that they also believe all sorts of stuff that it, it, it's all going to be mixed together. It's like a, 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 a almost like a chili. You know what I'm saying? Where you have yeah. a chili with a bunch of different ingredients and it's stewing out and so, in some bites you're going to get more beans and in some bites you're going to get more beef and in some bites you're going to get more peppers or something. I don't know. Like that's that that's what's gone on is that it's all just kind of mixed up with each. It's like honestly dealing with it is so, so, so exhausting, but it's like a constant thing that we have to f-ing deal with and it's such a pain in the ass. That, I mean, it, that sounds like that. Yeah. But – I'm I'm glad you explained that because that that gives me some more insight about what I was about to say about the marching to Zion documentary that I watched part of um as much as I could stomach which was about yeah. 25 minutes. You um, actually watched it? Ugh. I watched about 25 minutes of it and then I was like I just okay, googled it figured I knew what was in it. No, I um I wanted to see his like I wanted to see his attitude, I wanted to see his body language while he's talking about these things. Because that's of interest to me personally, um, and I wore I I wore headphones while I watched it so that my baby wouldn't hear <laughs> the like any hatefulness because I don't want my baby to hear that. Good call. But I watched um, I watched part of this documentary and I watched several of his other videos because I was raised on the other end of Christianity, and this is pretty foreign to me. But what I found out is that this is called replacement theology and it's actually a really common foundation for christian anti-semitism so i've got like a, a quick clip for you okay if let's you play go ahead and play that clip i personally have never heard any preacher that i listen to properly identify the synagogue of satan and it always boggled my mind because to me it's very obvious when you just read this passage and take it for what it says, who the synagogue of Satan are. First of all, they are someone who says that they're a Jew. Now, doesn't that eliminate a lot of people right away? I mean, does everybody that you know say that they're a Jew? Does every religion on this planet claim to be Jews and say, we're Jews, I'm a Jew? No. Whoever the synagogue of Satan are, they are people who say that they're Jews. But are they Jews? No, they're not. Now, the other thing that you should notice is that this group is called the synagogue of Satan. Does every religion have synagogues? Does every person go to a synagogue or is every person a member of a synagogue? No. But if we look at this, it's very obvious when we think about the fact that there is a group of people in this world who do go to a synagogue, who do have a synagogue, and who say that they are Jews and are not part of the synagogue of Satan. And that is people who follow the religion of Judaism. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor Anderson, there's no way that's the synagogue of Satan because they're saying that they're Jews and they really are Jews. Can't you see that they're Jews, Pastor Anderson? You know, these people that go to the synagogue and that practice Judaism, can't you tell by, you know, the black hat that they're wearing? Can't you tell by, you know, the way that they dress and the, 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 maybe the little hat that they have on the back of their head? Can't you see the kosher meal being ordered on the airplane and know that these are Jews, Patrick? But hold on a second. Are they really Jews? These that go to a Jewish synagogue? These that practice the religion of Judaism? Well, look down at your Bible. The Bible says in Romans 2.28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. 
So could it be that there are some that we look at outwardly and say, hey, there's a Jew. Yep, that's a Jew. And really, they're not a Jew. He says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. That's a clip from the Marching to Zion documentary. And I wanted to explain this as simply as I can for people who were like me and didn't have any idea about this before. I was raised with the idea that the Jewish people missed the Messiah, who Christians believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but that Jews are still the chosen people and that God still desires to repair that relationship with his chosen people. Replacement theology teaches that physical Jews, and by that it means ethnic and religious Jewish people, have rejected Christ to such a permanent extent that they have been, essentially they've been fired as the chosen people. And then there's been a new hire. They've been replaced with spiritual Jews, meaning a certain subset of Christian believers. Oh my God. Yeah. This explains so many fucking weird ass interactions that I've had. Oh my Does God. Does it? Yes. No, people claiming to be spiritual Jews and that I had been cast down in the eyes of God on Twitter. So that's that's replacement theology. And this is like, I've just kind of learned the vocabulary for that very recently while doing research for this. What's weird to me is how similar this is to one root grafted in theology, but how differently it's expressed at the end. These two teachings have the same, the same starting point. And then they go off drastically into different directions. Yeah. And see, this is exactly why I had such a big problem with grafted in theology when we talked about it. Because essentially, grafted in theology means that, like, fucking anybody can just say, we're an offshoot of Judaism and then just retcon a bunch of bullshit. And then go and say, well, according to my theology, God hates those who claim to be Jews and because they're not really Jews and so, and my people are. Well, the big difference being that grafted in theology still acknowledges Judaism as the root and Christianity as the offshoot. So it's like Hmm. we are blessed and honored to be counted in with the chosen people. So, okay, here I thought of a way to explain this. Grafted in theology is like Jews are all invited to this awesome, awesome party. And they are – God is letting Christians also be invited like as a plus one to this awesome party that was originally thrown for the Jews. Replacement theology, however, is like God threw this awesome party for all the Jews, but they didn't send in their RSVPs. So God uninvited all of them and asked the Christians to come party instead. Mm. And, And I think it's still totally valid for you to hate grafted in theology. I'm not at all trying to invalidate your feelings on this. I wanted to point out, though, I think that's a good way to understand how grafted in theology yeah. and replacement theology come to drastically different conclusions in the end. Yeah. The, so the way I see it, Christianity is sort of like this sort of arbitrarily decided that it was the valid successor to Judaism and then got really careless about who it let in. I mean, like they definitely go for quantity over quality. That's a huge issue that I've got. And so then you end up with people like this Steven Anderson who gets to be a Christian, claim that his people are the true Jews from a theological perspective and say hateful shit about people 
you know, the people who he's stealing everything from, like not saying that we not saying that we don't have our own nutcases. Okay. But Christians will literally let fucking anybody join. Like you could be a fucking asshole who is out on bail for murdering somebody. And you can go into a church and say, I want to get saved and be a Christian. And they'll let you do it. And there's nobody to check and see. And like, they'll just get you converted like that, you know? Um, yeah. And they'll yeah. write you. Yeah. They'll write you You're down. And they're like, there's nobody to be like, you know, maybe we shouldn't let this guy in. I don't want to be in the same religion as this guy. He's a dick. Uh, <laughs> no, like, I don't want to be in the same religion as this guy. He killed 80 people. You know what I'm saying? But like, and then they'll, but they'll like get you in. They'll write down your name in the book of saved souls so that the pastor can brag about his numbers at the next conference. I mean, yeah, that's one of the key premises of being a Christian is that as far as salvation, there is zero barriers to entry. And I do believe, and and so do many, many others, that being a part of a church or being accepted as a teacher should absolutely be much more complicated than that. But as far as being saved, yeah, we are literally supposed to just like let a murderer get saved if they want to. I mean, not even like let them. It's they just can and nobody can do anything about it. Yeah, well, see, because we're not based around like salvation. That's the thing. If you have that threat of eternal damnation hanging over your head, you're going to try to get as many people in as possible because it's the right thing to do. If we don't have that barrier, like it's just like it's not life or death whether or not you get to join so we can be more picky. Right. And it's not like you believe you're condemning somebody to hell because you don't believe in hell. Right. Not like that. So that's my issue. You guys have zero barriers. Well, I, I don't want to say you guys because you're converting to Catholicism and that's like that's got some barriers. Oh, Catholic like Catholics still believe that you can go to heaven and not be a Catholic. You right. just can't be a Catholic without converting to Catholicism. Yeah. So see see, that's the thing. I I, I feel like we see eye eye on that. But like these these like IFBs, you know, they'll have zero barriers to being let in. Whereas we have all the barriers to being let in. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do respect that because, you know, one thing that's a little bit weird about being a Christian is that I am obligated to believe that someone like Dave Hiles could potentially end up being my next door neighbor in heaven one day because I am literally not allowed by my doctrine to believe that God can't or won't save someone like him. Now, personally, I think that God loves me enough to not make Dave Hiles be my next door neighbor in heaven. <laughs> I think that I think that I've done I like I've really tried to be a good person. I think that God would not let that happen to me. Personally, I also So if you get into heaven but you're like God's still trying to teach you some lessons up there. <laughs> That's what purgatory actually is, is you have to hang out with Dave Hiles. Mm. No, personally like I think that Dave Hiles is probably not saved because in my experience, I think that most people who have received God's grace tend to lose their desire to murder, rape, and sorry, to allegedly murder and rape and lie to people. I think you know, it's more likely that he's not a Christian to begin with, but right. my doctrine does not allow me to make any kind of actual judgment call beyond my own opinion on whether or not he can call himself a Christian or whether or not he can say that he is saved or whether or not he will end up in heaven one day. Yeah. See, uh, but this is like why it bothers me. Christians calling themselves Jews. It bothers me so much because they're like diluting a meaningful tradition with like some people. And I'm not saying that we can't be because we've got Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein, but 
yeah, somebody could say I'm a Christian without ever even having cracked their Bible. And according to theology, they're like this theology. They're the quote unquote actual Jews. And I can see why that would bother you. And I'm glad that we got into this because this is this was enlightening for me because now I understand another reason why one root theology bothers you. Right. Yeah. Because like if oh, I was yeah, I was going to say that like if you know, your people have, have spent your history like facing a lot of persecution and a lot of that persecution really still exists throughout the world. You do kind of want to be able to have a, a community that has walls around it, that has a gate around it where you can say, you know, this is who this is who's inside our community. We know who's inside our community. And these are the people who, you know, are our members and not just open that up to the people who have historically treated you really poorly. To me, that's sort of something that's important. That's sort of one of the reasons why I think we've, why this bothers me so much is because, you know, you're taking away our ability to really decide who is in and who is out. Yeah. And I think that that makes sense. But back to replacement theology, I just couldn't get my head around why somebody would, where you would get that in the Bible. But I found this other video of Anderson where he explains the exact scripture verses that he's using to justify this belief. When I found those scripture verses, then I felt like I got the whole picture of like where he's coming up with this from. So Anderson is using two verses. One of them is Romans 2, 28 through 29, and the other is Philippians 3, 3. And he's using those two verses to make his point. So I'm going to read both in King James Version to start with. Romans 2, 28 through 29 in King James is, uh, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, who is one, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is, of, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And then Philippians 3, 3 in King James is... um. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And these are all quotes from the New Testament. So if you're Jewish, this is automatically all bull. Yeah. Um, But interestingly, these are also both quotes by the Apostle Paul as the writer. Uh, Paul was Jewish and well-educated, by which I mean he was a Torah scholar. But he was also willing to sell out and work for the Roman government who were currently occupying Jerusalem and occupying Israel at the time that he was living. Hmm. I th- okay, so I thought of something to say here, but I'm absolutely not going to say it because it would not go over well. But please, regi- but please register my contempt for this man. Okay. Your contempt is noted. Yes. Before, so before Paul got with Jesus, his job was to round up other Jews who had become practicing Christians Mm. and turn them into the Roman government, the occupying Roman government, who would then kill them. So Paul was working for the occupying forces, which would have meant oppressing his own people. But you could also look at it as he was trying to preserve the integrity of Judaism because he was having Christians killed. Uh, Basically, what I'm saying is that Paul managed to piss everybody off at one point in his life or another. So, like, there are parts of his life that, that, like, I could hate him for, and there are parts of his life that you could hate him for. And pretty much, Paul was pretty controversial. So, what Anderson has done, though, is he's taken these two verses that I read a minute ago, 
So he's taken them out of context to begin with, and then he's applied extreme word-for-word literalism. So when these verses are out of context, and then he's put them through this filter of literalism that he applies, you can see why they start to support his crackpot anti-Semitic theory. Because he's he's twisted it, and I'm going to show you exactly how he twisted it, because I feel like this is important. That first phrase in Romans 2.28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Anderson has isolated that phrase from the rest of the verse, and when he's like applied this literalism, he uses it to claim that anyone who claims to be a Jew, therefore ethnic or religious Jewish people, are therefore not, quote, real Jews, because they claim to be. Like, his logic is... The Bible says that anyone who claims to be a Jew must not be one. Mm. Do you like? So you see, like the extremely like simplistic way he's taken this one phrase, he's isolated it out of context of the chapter, out of context of what Paul is actually fucking talking about, and out of context of the verse. Even he's taken literally one, not even one verse, one phrase, and applied extreme isolation and then extreme literalism, and then that's where he's gotten this idea. Yeah. Huh. So, hmm. and I'm I'm going through all this to show that also this is not how regular Christians read the Bible. No, I wouldn't think that it would be. <laughs> At all. <laughs> this seems super weird. So a lot of this depends on the belief that the King James Version specifically is inspired. Like, this is why it matters to these people. Because you see, this only works with an extreme, literal, every word interpretation of this verse. This method of like isolating these phrases it only works for people who believe that the king james version was inspired when god told paul what to write and that it was inspired again when the translators translated it into english because if the english words aren't inspired then this level of isolation and literalism does not work so this is where this ties in with the split over the, the with the old ifb One of the main points of that split, it had to do with the inspiration of the King James. And this kind of thing is the reason that they consider that tiny difference in wording to be worth splitting over. Because if you can't be that incredibly anal about every word of the Bible, this entire theory falls apart. This entire belief of replacement theology falls into pieces. Because it's not the the way that you can you cannot no. interpret the Bible that way unless you were being that incredibly word for word literal about it. Yeah. So that's why it matters. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this is where Anderson gets the idea about the not real Jews part. And then the verse in Philippians, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. He does the same thing to that verse in Philippians. He isolates the phrase, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and then he applies this ridiculous level of specific word-for-word literalism to say that we are the circumcision equals rejoice in Christ Jesus. I would just like to say, I know from personal experience that circumcision does not mean rejoice in Christ Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would like to say that in this verse of scripture circumcision doesn't mean circumcision either. It doesn't. What you might not know is that huge pieces of the New Testament are dedicated to Paul. So Paul is the most prolific writer of the New Testament. And large pieces of the New Testament are dedicated to Paul's thoughts on protocol and etiquette 
when mixing Jews and Gentiles into one Christian congregation, because people were converting to Christianity. Many people were converting. It was spreading like wildfire. And people from Jerusalem were converting. People from Ephesus and Turkey were converting. And people from Corinth and Greece were converting. And what Paul was dealing with is the fact that all of these people from vastly different cultures and vastly different religious backgrounds were all trying to coexist as part of the same brand new Christian churches. Jews who had converted to Christianity obviously had already been circumcised at birth, and they were used to following the Torah. Yeah, eight days old. Right, right, right. As a baby, I mean. But these Jewish converts to Christianity wanted to know if the Greek converts, if the Roman converts, if the Ethiopian converts to Christianity, this brand new religion, well, do they also have to follow the Torah? And specifically, do they need to go get circumcised? Well, when you think about it, it's probably pretty difficult to convince people to join your new religion if you have to convince grown men to have their foreskin cut off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, it's not, not a big sell for your new religion. No. I mean, if you're going to have your kids circumcised, do it when they're a baby so they don't remember it. Exactly. Like yeah. These new converts, they were all about Jesus. But they were not into – so some of these Jewish Christian converts were preaching at them about, like, you need to stop eat ba- stop eating bacon and go get circumcised. And they were not into that. Yeah, once again, quantity over quality. But Paul said <laughs> – and remember, Paul is in a unique position to speak about this because he's one of the best educated writers of scripture. He had the most extensive Torah education of any writer of scripture other than, you know, Moses who wrote the thing. He said to these people, so he he said to these people that the Torah is for the Jews and that new Christians didn't feel like they had to abide by it other than the parts that are obviously common sense moral laws, like don't murder and respect your parents and don't steal unless you're stealing to feed yourself. So Paul said that circumcision was, and he uses circumcision as a shorthand for all of for anything from not eating pork or shellfish to mixed garments of linen and wool and all of those like Torah law rules. Paul said that circumcision was about the Jews being set apart unto God, but that Christians are set apart unto God in our hearts and that the physical state of a person's body one way or another doesn't affect the state of their heart. So what you eat or whether or not you're circumcised or whether or not you wear blended fabrics, these things are personal choices and not relevant to someone's status as a Christian. And so Paul is like, when he says circumcision, yes, he's talking about the medical procedure, but he is also talking about, in shorthand, any part of the Torah that Christians were being pressured into following. So it's literally the same thing as like Temple of the Unknown God. Right. It's Paul is... It, it, there's there's an element of literalism, but there is also an element of like people who were reading the letters that Paul wrote would have known what he was talking about. Like Paul is dealing with like uh, the first, the very first Christian potlucks, and the Gentile converts want to bring like cheeseburger soup, and the Jewish converts are like, "That's not kosher. Don't bring that in my church." Like that's kind of like the, what he's dealing with. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so it's so Paul is not speaking. <laughs> so anyway, so to sew up this doctrinal mess, that I think explains how Anderson's phrases are used completely out of context. That is literally 
not even close to what the Apostle Paul was speaking about when he wrote those scripture verses. Anderson uses one out-of-context phrase to disqualify anyone who claims to be a Jew from actually being the quote-unquote true Jews. And then he uses another, even more out-of-context phrase to say only that those who rejoice in Christ Jesus have qualified themselves as true Jews. It's actually super simplistic. And I I was a little bit disappointed that it was that basic because I was hoping I would have more to like taken down on. Yeah. But basically the the only answer is like, no, that's out of context. You're dumb. There's a lot of background material and the background material for that documentary is pretty much like great value brand anti-Semitism. It's like getting certain rabbis to admit on camera that they believe that the Talmud is inspired. And then they, then he immediately cherry picks bits where it says that, Mary was an adulteress or comparing Jesus to Balaam, just like run-of-the-mill inflammatory stuff to get Christians to feel defensive and get Christians to feel angry. And then he hits them with these two phrases completely out of context of what Paul was talking about to begin with, runs it for the filter of extreme literalism made possible by the worship of the King James Version, and he teaches that as God's truth. And that's where we get this crackpot theory. Ugh. This is, I mean, this is pretty much what you expect when you go to church at a strip mall in Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I felt like I needed to understand. No, we do have to go into this stuff, like all this really specific doctrinal, like this, this really specific theological stuff. I wanted to know where he got this weirdo idea. Yeah. And, and now I'm, I'm really glad I understand it as gross as it is. Right. No, but because in order to have like this show where we talk about these issues, we can't just talk about this issue and point to something and be like, this is a thing he thinks and that's bad. We have to be able to like go into it and be like, what is he saying? Why is he saying this? Where is this coming from? We need to deconstruct this from an actual perspective. So that's why we talk about this stuff. Right. And I'm, I, as, as like, as I feel gross <laughs> for having like watched, I listened to him as much as I did and watched as much of his video as I did, and I feel exhausted, but I'm really glad that I understand that because now I understand like where he's coming from. And it was really interesting to me that it is only possible to come up with that weirdo theory if you're one of those King James Bible worshipers. Right. And and if you don't know anything about Christianity, then you can hear this thing and you can be like, well, it says it in the Bible. That sounds accurate. Like... Right, because we also need to explain why regular Christians don't believe this. Yes, no, that's that's very like important. Where this is completely out of step with like regular Christian theology, because I feel like if you, if somebody just told you like, oh, the 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 New Testament says that Christians are the real Jews and that Jewish people aren't the real Jews, if somebody just told you that, that would probably make you pretty f-ing mad. I mean, I would be like that tracks based on what I've heard, but like. But that's not true. Yeah. Like that's but not. But it's not true. That's not remotely how ninety percent of Christians interpret the New Testament. That's just how this nutcase says that yeah. two verses. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But that's a uh, so that's pretty much it. That's the that's the new I- IFB platform. Uh, it is somewhat about the old IFB being too liberal, and that's what like, that's what started the fracture fifteen sixteen years ago. But it is mostly about this extreme literalism and the weirdo doctrines that have been born out of this extreme literalism. And this is all made possible completely because of the inordinate emphasis placed on the King James Bible and the ability 
to pretty much have complete free reign over taking specific words out of context as long as they're from the good old King James Version. Yeah, you know, like as I like I totally understand why Anderson was able to gain a decent sized congregation so quickly, because I mean, let's let's be real. Lots of people fucking hate the Jews. And if you create your own branch of Christianity based around hating us, it's going to be gangbusters. The thing is that it's the other half of that, I think, is that it's couched so deeply in something that the IFB hold dear, which is the King James Version issue. Like I know of so many churches that have King James in the in the church name. Like it'll be like King James Bible Baptist Church, or they'll have sixteen eleven in the church name, which is um the year that the King James was originally translated. Hmm. This is everything to the IFB. Like people split with Scop before he raped a minor, before he went to prison, before he helped run a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> What people hate him for is what he said about the King James Version. So this makes so much sense to me that IFB people fall for this because they are so primed to fall for conspiracy theories to begin with, that they are also so hung up on this King James Version issue that if Anderson makes it a King James issue, people are going to be willing to accept his bullshit, even if it's racist, even if it's sexist, even if it's anti-Semitic or whatever else he says. As long as he makes it a King James version, being that that's the platform, people are going to follow him. Mm. Okay, so oh, that makes so. Is there like do we see overlap between these two groups between these like old IFB camp people and these new IFB camp people who maybe like they are like hardcore KJV only people, but they also they also aren't quite totally on board with all of the stuff that Anderson's saying or vice versa. There is some overlap at this point. I think in my lifetime I have seen these two groups diverge and from what I saw on the inside, I think this will change over the next few years. I think that the new IFB will continue to grow and that there will be less and less overlap. There is a dating site at this point that hosts both NIFB and IFB people. So there could still be intermarriage going on at this point. Wait, there's so there's a dating site. Yes, there is a new IFB and IFB only dating site. Oh and God. you have to have a pastor recommend you to be allowed on this dating site. And every conversation is monitored. So there are no private messages at all ever. They're actually chaperones on a website. Wait, so there's chaperones on the dating site. Yes. So no oh one is exchanging God. inappropriate messages about, I don't know, kissing before their wedding day or something. Oh, my God. Ha! Ah, that's hilarious. That's okay. Can't, <laughs> yeah. But can't you just meet and like get on Snapchat or would that not be permissible? I'm pretty sure the chaperones would see you being like, get on Snapchat with me. And then you'd get kicked off the dating site and they'd probably oh call God. your pastor. Because remember, they have your pastor's phone number. Because he had to approve you to be on the site. Sadie, do you know what I'm thinking right now? No. What are you thinking right now? Can we figure out a way onto this dating site? I'm pretty sure no pastor is going to recommend us at this point. No. Why would they? Uh, No. See, I can't even pose as a good IFB girl anymore because I, I have the long hair, but it's very, very bright blue. So I can't, like, I can't even pretend anymore. Mm. And I think we've talked about this before, but there's the idea of 
having fellowship with other churches or other pastors. The IFB as a social group is based on the idea that there are certain differences that are acceptable and certain differences that are not. Certain differences that would disqualify another Christian from having fellowship with you. Um, Losing fellowship or breaking fellowship is the IFB version of getting canceled. So if I were to say, for instance, post a picture of myself out of the movies or post a picture of myself drinking a beer or post a picture of myself eating a salad containing all vegetables and no mayonnaise, I would lose fellowship. (laughs) Well, definitely the first two. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But these are the same people. What's what's ironic is these people go on about how much they hate cancel culture, but they literally will cancel each other over something as big comparatively as whether the King James Version was inspired or as small as whether church women are allowed to wear ski pants underneath their dresses on the school on the school church ski trip. I mean, but weren't you basically canceled because you got a side hug and because somebody made up a weird rumor about you? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I was considered immoral because of my bad reputation, not even technically because of anything I did. Just I was immoral because somebody thought that I might have done something. Mm. And one more big difference between the new IFB and the old IFB is that at this point, only churches associated directly with Stephen Anderson personally are considered new IFB. So Anderson has trained several other pastors, and he has sent those men out to start their own new IFB churches. And I've seen as few as 30 or as many as 45 in the United States as can United States and Canada, and there are about 15 new IFB churches in other countries. Because of the actual like direct leadership, like this, this seems like way more of a cult than the regular IFB. Yeah, I mean, I would consider this a cult for exactly the same reasons as the regular IFB. The rules are pretty much the same, tiny bit stricter in some ways, same behavior control, same information control, thought control, emotional control. Those things are present in very much the same ways in the new IFB. And Steven Anderson is not technically in charge of every pastor of every NIFB church. But to call yourself NIFB, you have to be associated with him. So he can't technically tell you what to do. But also, like, I, I think it's pretty obvious that, he that he's can. telling all of these guys what to do. Yeah. And I personally, I think Steven Anderson is more of a cult leader uh, than Jack Hiles ever was. But he operates out of a strip mall in Arizona. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Faithful Word Baptist Church is still running. Their membership fluctuates a lot. Right now they have closer to about 60 people, but they've been as high as 200 or 300. Um, I'm going to talk more about why that membership number fluctuates so much on the next episode. Anderson started putting his sermons up on YouTube in about 2009. And through his YouTube channel, he has reached and radicalized many people. It really worries me that he's been able to gain a following and gain so much recognition over the last 15 years, because I feel that the new IFB may be poised to continue to grow and continue to gain members. I think it's very obvious to most people that the old IFB is a dying movement. It has been in the process of dying, on, in my opinion, since 1989, since the Hiles Nistrick scandal, I, from what I see, things were never quite the same after that. And then the Scop scandal was the final nail in the coffin, the final word in the eulogy, the old IFB never coming back after that. That's just my opinion based on being there. And this is my prediction. I believe that many former IFB people are already in the process of 
finding their way into more conservative Southern Baptist churches, quietly moving to like doctrinally conservative contemporary Christian churches. Uh, If they can't quite go that far, they might end up in a Bible church. Bible church is a denomination that's very similar to the IFB. These people, I think that many IFB people are already trying to find a new home away from the IFB as they drop out quietly of places like First Baptist Church of Hammond while that church is dying a very long, slow death. Other former IFB people are listening to this show because they've broken away and they've found freedom. And then they've chosen a church or like me, they've chosen a completely different Christian church or they've chosen no church at all after their exit from the IFB. However, just as many people are breaking away from the IFB towards slightly more reasonable churches like a conservative Southern Baptist church or whatever, and just as many people are breaking away from the IFB and falling out of church altogether, there are many people who break the other way. They see the same thing that I see, which is that the old IFB is dying but they want to recapture the magic. They want to feel what people felt 35 years ago when the old IFB was at its peak. People want to be on that bleeding edge again. They want charismatic leadership and they want something to completely lose themselves to. And I think many of those people have already gone to the NIFB or will eventually end up in the NIFB. And and I seriously hope I'm wrong. But I believe that the old IFB is too dead and that it will never come back. And I think that as it continues to disintegrate over, I think it's got about 30 years left before the last few churches are just like, it's just the last few holdouts. I think as the the IFB continues to disintegrate over maybe 30 years, that many of their people are high risk for jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire and ending up in the new IFB. So when at the, at the beginning of every episode and I say, you know, something like, oh, this cult and other cults, like... They pose a present danger to society as a whole. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Obviously, the IFB is out there, but these new IFB, like, this is at a different level. This is a whole different ballgame we're talking about here. It really is. And I want to go ahead and bring this episode to a close because next time I want to talk more personally about who Steven Anderson is. I have, and I have a little information as well about what it is like as a member of Faithful Word Baptist Church. And uh, we've got firsthand accounts of this sort of thing lined up. I have accounts that claim to be firsthand, and I will let you know how far I can get on independently verifying their legitimacy. Yeah. And yeah, on this podcast, like we understand the responsibility that we have to not just push out content that's ill-founded or, you know, make arguments that are in bad faith. So, um, yeah, tune in next week and we'll... Uh, be able to to you know give you like a more expanded look at all of this because this is you know really threatening and really frightening here. I hope this week has been a helpful primer on the difference between new and old IFB. I think those of our listeners who were ever IFB will be right on board with me. They're they're like yeah old news inspiration preservation debate yeah, but it may be new to them to understand how it created the NIFB or how it helped create the NIFB. Next week, I want to get into Anderson personally. Um, We're going to look at some of his more well-known sermons, which are always just good for a laugh to begin with. But we'll get further into um, why I feel so comfortable calling him a cult leader. And I thought it would be best to have an idea of why this is important. 
as a primer before we get into him personally. Yeah. And so until then, uh, you can uh, follow this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Facebook and Instagram. It is at leaving Eden. No, Facebook and yeah, Facebook and Instagram. It is at leaving Eden podcast. Twitter. It is at leaving Eden pod. If you enjoy this show, uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, that is going to be patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. Uh, if you want to uh, have discussions with other fans of this show, you can join the podcast Facebook group. It's group. It's going to be called facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. So Eden Exodus is the name of the Facebook group. You search that, it'll pop right up. Uh, and lastly, if you want to have uh, ask us questions, uh, we know we had a question and answer episode come out a couple of weeks ago. You guys really liked that. Uh, so if you want to ask us more questions, send us more questions to leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Uh, sure. You can find me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie. Uh, I'm also on Clubhouse at Hell Yeah Sadie. Yeah. And TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. Yeah. So, and if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse. Uh, it is at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, if you want to play the song, if you want to stream the song that is playing right now, you can do that by going to my Spotify or Apple Music page. It's going to be right there. It's called Rolling River of Time. Uh, go to my Spotify, Apple Music page, um, and streaming that is going to benefit the show. Um, and until next time, I hope that you guys have a good day. Bye-bye. But Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.